Thank you for downloading the Crispy Sharp podcast, an audio companion to the film review and interview site that is found at www.crispysharp.co.uk. Hello. This week I was helping out at the British Urban Film Festival and managed to sit down with writer-director David Campion to talk about his new film Woodfalls, which premiered on the Friday evening. We were having a couple of drinks and sat in a back room at the after party. I started by asking him to talk a little bit about how he got into filmmaking. Um, I started making films, it's, it's an absolute cliche now, but I started in my teenage years, got really into horror films, started making my own films, and that carried on right through to uni, through college, into uni. And then straight out of uni, I made a feature film called Patrolmen, which was, that was a, it was a feature film made for a few grand, um, and it wasn't very good. <laughs> okay, well, we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, films themselves in a second, but just about yourself, like, so you studied film at university, what kind of course was it? Yeah, um, so I tell people it's Bournemouth University, it was actually Wiltshire College in Salisbury, which is a Bournemouth degree, and uh, yeah, it was a three-year practical course, two years HND, and then a top-up which was a degree. Okay, did you have to make any films at university or was it theoretical? No, it was all, so the first first year was picking up a camera every single day, working on news projects, working on interviews, a wide sort of, a lot, a lot of t- TV sort of orientated stuff. And then second year we got into working with 16mm. Nice. Then the third year we got to make our own short film and a graduation film which was shot on 35mm. Wow. So it's probably one of the last generations to do that. Yeah, now. definitely. Okay, so what was your first film about? How did you get? Tell me the story of Patrolman. How did it? How what was the development like? How did you film it? How did you shoot it? Uh, we were looking at uh, making a short film. We decided we prefer features, so we just went for it. And it was just every single thing a filmmaker, a young filmmaker, shouldn't do, put into a film. So there were references to every single horror film out there. It's sort of the plot's quite 1984 mixed with The Wicker Man incredibly ambitious it set it took place on like a fictitious island huge cast um a big battle at the end every big thing that a, sh- a small film like we didn't know how to handle it but we just sort of went along with it and did it and shot it we shot on a canon xl2 so that was just on the bridge between hd becoming affordable and we shot in standard definition so it's i, I like to think one of the few great standard definition films out there okay <laughs> okay needless to say if you've read my review I absolutely loved it uh, I thought it was an a- absolutely stunning film what, what made you interested in this subject I have an in uh, my, f- my mother grew up as a traveller and I'd say for the first I think about 30 years of her life she lived as a traveller and then she eventually she sort of moved away met my dad who wasn't a traveller and they settled down and had me but um, so I, my, I have close family that are still travellers so I spent some time on traveller sites as a kid I understand the culture and around the time I was writing it a few years ago, they were like travellers with a boom. And Channel 4, there were films coming out. You had the Channel 4 show, My Big Fat Gypsy Wedding or whatever. And it just seemed a lot of people were interested in the culture. But I think it was being portrayed maybe in an unfair way. Are there any other films that you've seen that have got like, kind of this, these kind of characters that influence you or you know, kind of got, got you? I didn't, I didn't necessarily do research on... There aren't a lot of travellers in cinema, to be honest, like Fish Tank which is the film we were talking about before this podcast, they do have sort of travellers on the outskirts of their town in Essex. And it's interesting that she relates almost to these people and she ends up leaving with them. Yeah. Almost. That's the end of the film. <laughs> yeah. but, um, 
No, there aren't there aren't a huge amount of films. There are there are a few American films about gypsies and stuff, and I know Shane Meadows has had a King of the Gypsies film that he's been trying to get made for years. So they're obviously out there, but the portrayals there was nothing particularly inspiring for me, just because I had a very specific a specific idea of how I wanted my travellers to be in my film. So I, I took more cues from other films, probably for just a small town okay. part of the film. How did you go about casting the characters? Are they authentic travellers themselves, or you know, how did you even go about casting this film? No, I, you know what, um, I sent the script around, and I, I was looking specifically for gypsy actors, and they do exist. They're about on whatever avenue you're taking with casting, casting call pro, spotlight, they are on there, but they did object to the scripts in terms of set. It's quite a conservative culture, so the sex, the drug use, the violence put them off completely. And one traveller girl did tell me that she would never be able to show this to anybody and she would upset her family. So I thought, let's let's steer away from going authentic. My thing with a traveller accent and casting normal actors to do it is the accent, their dialect is very, like travellers sound different wherever they travel because they pick up dialects from every small town or every place they go to. So I felt if I could get a fairly consistent accent amongst regular actors, I should be able to pull it off. Okay. And was there much improvisation in the script, or was it all...? Massively. Really? Um, Because it must be quite hard to write in such a strong dialect. Yeah, it's kind of hard to write dialogue anyway, just because you're not every single character. You've got an idea of every single character, but once you cast an actor, that character becomes theirs. So the idea of just sticking to strict to script, I think, is for sort of egomaniac writers and television. Yeah, and television, exactly. We, I mean, we didn't have a lot of time, but I'd make sure that there would be time while we were blocking to just come up with new stuff. And I think the best example of improvisation is probably the last scene, that last confrontation, which I shouldn't. Uh, no, 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 don't spoil. No, absolutely not. But that that was four lines in the script, and that's I think that's about a four or five minute piece of sort of dialogue between the two of them. Yeah. Okay, so what about in terms of locations? Where's the film actually set? Because I couldn't quite figure it out when I was watching it. I think it's just kind of generic rural England. Yeah, yeah, generic rural England. I mean, Woodfalls is actually a place just outside of Salisbury. Um, My friend worked in a pub there, and uh, I just liked the sound of Woodfalls. I thought it had a strong name. You had the connotation of maybe something powerful being pulled down. That's how I felt about it. I've actually based it on my towns that I know of well I live just outside of a place called Andover which has a has its own character so to speak and I yeah I based it completely on my experiences growing up around Andover and a little village called Luggershaw. Have you had any like local screenings did you show it to your friends how did you once, uh, wh- when did you finish the film and how did you kind of first show it to people? I mean so we finished the film a year ago a version a completely linear version of it and I did. I showed that around to my friends, um, and they related to it. Like it is, it's it's very much. I, I like to think of it more as a small town film than a gypsy film. So the, the, I think the small town stuff is quite authentic, and they all related to it. But since that cut, we we re-edited it and got a. We just got more out of the story, I think, by mixing it up a little bit and re-editing. So there, a lot of people haven't seen this cut yet. Right, because we were, we were talking before about before we started recording about how London is very much overrepresented in films and it's so interesting one of the reasons I thought it was so interesting as I was watching it is just because I could relate to this kind of small town and one of the things I said in my review is that this film Woodfalls is the furthest you can get from kind of antiques roadshow <laughs> and that kind of small town TV kind of vibe um, 
a friend of mine did say that quote should be on the poster. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's just an, such an interesting place. And if you've lived in a small village or something, there have been so many people live outside of cities, you know. And unfortunately, you know, it's hard to get films screened outside of big cities, obviously. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I know Andover. I'm near, I live based in Southampton at the moment. And Harbour Lights is our only art house cinema. And obviously, Pitch House recently got bought by Cineworld. So it's getting harder and harder. And why is Harbour Lights showing big action films? I just don't understand it. It should, be about, it should be about indie films. So, uh, yeah, basically, if you live in a small town, you should definitely go and see it. Um, <laughs> how long did you f have for the shoot? How long did it work? How, long, how did you, mm. you know, how did it all work? How did it so work? my, my pre-Woodfalls years, I was writing Woodfalls while I was working <laughs> at a cinema that I was working at since I was 21. Uh, that's in uh, Andover. And towards Woodfalls, like the writing of, I was still working there. It was getting a bit depressing. I was the oldest usher there. I was sort of meeting all these new 16-year-olds that had just started work. And I was like, oh, I'm 24 and I have a degree. And I really need to sort my life out. So um, uh, at for Woodfalls, I quit that job completely. Gave myself, we had like, it, I think it was a 12-day shoot. So that gave me a few weeks to make the film and then got straight back into work right. after. And how long, when you say 12-day shoot, how long did it take you to edit it if you didn't really... Um, the edit was massive like I mean it's been it's just screened now and it's been about two years since the shoot so with with breaks I'd say the edit was about 18 months long and you, did you edit it yourself no I edited my editor Ian Fielding he couldn't he is the unsung hero of the project like he, he wasn't at the screening or the Q&A or anything but he was a massive part of this and he's a filmmaker himself he's working on a, a feature film at the moment I've known him for a few years. He's probably the smartest guy I've ever met, to be honest. So, yeah, editing with him, it's, it's been a learning experience, just watching how a story can evolve and how it doesn't work and how you can make it better just with structural changes. So, yeah, I'm, you mentioned this in the Q&A. Could you just tell the story about how you've got the, the two different cuts without giving too much of the story away, obviously? Yeah, so if you read the Woodfall script, it is a linear ensemble piece. I, I, I keep writing ensemble pieces for some reason. I, I love them. But we edited it that way, so it's a very A to B with lots of characters and different subplots happening. That version didn't exactly, it didn't necessarily flow very well. And this is when you hear that rather wanky saying that the final, the final draft of the script's in the edit room. Genuinely, the final draft of the script was in the edit room because we restructured the whole thing and we gave it a much more non-linear sort of Pulp Fiction inspired narrative and... When we tried that, it was a complete experiment. We literally re-chopped the film, put it together in sort of three different chapters, and it was incredible that it actually worked, and it felt like the film was made that way and written that way, even though it totally wasn't. It does feel very complete, though. I'm, it, I, was, I, was very, I was shocked to hear that you hadn't written it the way that it was on screen, so it's kind of interesting. Okay, so how hard is it to make a film in uh, the UK right now, an independent film? Uh, we, we did go down the Kickstarter route for Woodfalls, uh, with uh, we were after twenty grand, we uh, we got one thousand in bids, so that was completely. And within a month, we decided that it was dead, so completely lost it. I mean, what did you offer people? Not a lot. That's the thing. And when you sit back and, uh, from our point of view, if you sit back and look at what you offer people, you could be spending more on stickers, posters, merchandise to send people. I don't know. After a while. It, it, it doesn't work out economically. I love the idea of Kickstarter. I think it's, uh, it's such a zeitgeisty mm. kind of platform and everyone talks about it and people that don't even understand anything to do with film funding. Kickstarter's got a kind of reputation for yeah. films yeah, 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 as yeah. opposed to other projects, which is kind of interesting. 
But every time I see, like you say, every time I see one pop up on my Facebook feed or someone I know or some Twitter or whoever points me towards these projects, I always think that the prizes, quote unquote, prizes they're offering or the rewards, they call it, don't they? The rewards. I don't want any of them. I don't want to have a meal with a producer. <laughs> yeah. Like that doesn't make. Why would you do that? That's bizarre. And you know, I don't want a signed poster. That yeah, exactly. Uh, our I producer at the time was saying like, we can offer you out for a meal. Like that's a. Who wants to eat a fucking meal with me? Like, like <laughs> yeah. you know. It just seems I, so I don't vain. get many dates. Like people aren't going to pay to eat with no. me. No, I mean, like, if you, you know, if you're Zach Braff, exactly, and you can offer a meal, that's fine. But yeah. if someone that I've never met before, yeah. I'll just go to a restaurant and talk I, to the stranger next to me. I would love to film one of these Kickstarter meals because I can imagine them being horrendously awkward. Oh, that's a great idea for a film, yeah, actually. Yeah, no, a that sh- is great. That's a great idea for a short film. A documentary-style film about a Kickstarter meal gone wrong. Just, yeah, awkward, horrible. So, yeah, no, Kickstarter... I mean, Kickstarter is an amazing thing and it's worked for a lot of people. And I think if you have a fan base, it's a great way to pitch to people you know who have money who are going to be interested I don't know anybody like that. I couldn't get strangers. I have a, my my first film was distributed, so naively I thought there'd be an audience for it, but there there really wasn't. So I, I learned the hard way from Kickstarter. It was a total embarrassment from the minute I started it. Okay, I, I don't want to talk about budgets too much because it's such an obvious question. To, to filmmakers always get always talk about budgets, but because you're such a micro budget, ten grand. Yeah. How did you go about? Where did you get the money from? I was a bank loan. Just one-off bank loan? Yeah, I, uh, I got refused. My credit's terrible. So my dad, who's a pensioner, I'm not from rich parents. My dad is a working-class pensioner who had, you know, years of credit to get a loan, and I'm still paying him off now. £250 a month. What do your parents think about this film? They like it a lot. They're very proud. Like, I'm not from an arty background. My parents were not, you know, my dad was a builder and a coach driver and every other sort of working class job he could get. My mother is a cleaner. She currently cleans, she's retired, but she cleans part time. So I'm not from a particularly liberal, arty background and the support they've shown for filmmaking is incredible. So no one I've wanted to do it. This has been a, you know, this is one of those fads in my teenage years. I wanted to, before I wanted to be a filmmaker, I wanted to be a wrestler. <laughs> and uh, that, that, and I, I remember my career interview at school, I told her I wanted to be a wrestler and they had no documents for it. But since then, I've wanted to be a filmmaker. You know what? I, can, I just, can I just say, I actually went to WrestleMania this year. <laughs> I was at the O2. I got so drunk. I'm just, I couldn't believe, because it's such a spectacle. It's like heaven. And if you watch it, because you, you're up there in the rafters, right? The ticket was like 30 quid, and you're watching it. Oh, in, wow. oh my God. I couldn't see anything. All you could hear is the, the sound of the mat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, wrestling's oh, Wrestling, no, it's just it was a big extraordinary. Part, and actually, I... I I do. No like, irony, I absolutely love wrestling. Yeah, no, in my 20s, I look back at my life now, and I think... What did, why was I so, because when I get into things, I'm not just into them, I'm obsessed. So when I got into wrestling, I was big onto wrestling, the history of wrestling, the same way as I look at the history of cinema now. I was very, you know, you know, I put all myself into it. And I look at wrestling as like a good foreshadowing for film, because they are, they are stories, there's excitement, the entrances, the atmosphere that you'll build up before a fight, that's how you build up a sequence and suspense. Yeah, all those people who always say like, oh, wrestling... You know, it's not even real. Of course it's not fucking real, but that's why it's brilliant. But when you see a man backflip off a, a cage, I keep telling people, like, it's 30 feet high and he's backflipping off. That's that's not fake. That isn't a CGI wrestler. Like, it's painful. They When they go through tables, they're still tables. <laughs> yeah. It really upsets me because, you know, like, sort of the... I love that I, I don't really like sport, but I love 
drama and sport brought together in wrestling, I think it's an incredible experience. This is, yeah, it's a, it's a spectacle. What's um, the question there? Why did we get into wrestling? Oh, yeah, because of my childhood. Oh, right, yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah, my parents have literally watched me at the age of 14 get obsessed with film. My DVD collection started to get ridiculous. I started to get serious. I had this little handy cam I got for my 15th birthday. They watched me go through it, and they know my heart, my whole, my, my heart and soul is dedicated to this. So even though I'm not from an arty rich background, they've been very supportive, even though they've got a 27-year-old son living at home with them with no money and no clue of life, really. But a massive DVD collection. Massive DVD collection. So you, meant, you, said, you mentioned, to go back to your earlier film, Patrolman. Mm. I was going to say that, but it's on DVD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did How did that come about? So uh, we, Patrolman, it was made by four clueless individuals, and I, I will name myself, Ben Simpson, who I grew up with, and he was sort of my brother in film. Uh, Noel Maher met on my course. Louis Carello I met on my course. He's now my DOP. I've worked with him on everything I've ever shot. He's a master with a camera. Um, what was the question? The question was about DVDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we made <laughs> Patrolman. We, we, we smashed it. We, we sma- literally smashed it out. It was one of the most unprofessional months of my life, but it was also probably the best month of my life. Like Making films with your friends is something that you forget about, I think, the more professional you get within the industry. Um, so we had this film, it was weird, it was kooky, it was badly shot, it had terrible sounds, but it did have like an awesome, ambitious story in there somewhere. We found sales agents, um, should I name them? Yeah, yeah, Hicks and Jaggy, I don't think they're, they're around anymore, Hicks and Jaggy, and they, they told us if we could get some tits and some more blood in the film that we'd probably be able to distribute it. And that's the blessing with horror. There is always an audience. So we, we got some uh, breasts in there. We got some extra blood. And we sold it on DVD to Crabtree Films. Who, uh, I think they've gone out of business. <laughs> but, but it'd be embarrassing if they haven't. No, no, they've definitely gone out of business. <laughs> I think they lost their money on uh, a film starring Jesse Eisenberg. But I won't go into that. But they lost their money on that. Patrolman sort of, uh, you know, held its own. It's on the DVD market. It's a, it's a strong seller. Uh, what about Woodfalls, the, other, the newer film? Are you hoping to get it on DVD as well? Are you, you know, going to do, do a commentary? You know what? I'd love to do a commentary. The, the thing is, the market has changed. Like, even in my generation since distributing, getting Patrolman distributed, that was a big thing. I was, I was 22. It was a great thing to happen. And now 27. I look back at those days and I think, well, the DVD market has gone down quite a lot. And I think a lot of... A lot of the risks you would take on smaller films that might find a DVD audience, they're completely gone now because of online film and net. You're, you're looking at things like Netflix and online distribution. So I don't even see Woodfalls particularly. I don't think, oh, I need to see it in a HMV. I'm, I'm not sure if there is a market for the DVD anymore. Have you got any other English film festivals lined up? You, as a, just as a punter, or are you, are you going, to going to London? To London? Okay. Going to London. Have you got any films that you're interested in? Have you checked out the lineup? I've with it I um, I, without without researching the lineup is one of the weakest for a few years I think like, I, I avoid gala screenings the gala screening is all amazing like Mr. Turner is on my top films of the year I think I'm really anticipating that there's no Birdman which worries me Birdman Birdman uh, the guy who did 21 Grams Pieratu 21 Grams Elmos Pieratu yeah 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 I'm his new bi- film Birdman <coughs> have you not heard of this no no this is on. like the best trailer I've ever seen I think like it's Michael Keaton it's about a guy that used to have a film career that doesn't and he's trying to get himself back on the map and he's doing a theatrical one man show 
based on himself and it's I don't know it's, it's, it seems to be set in a theatre but then you've got these crazy scenes outside where he is a bird and he sees he hallucinates and he flies and he does it just looks beautiful and I've heard that it's been edited so it all looks like one take to be honest we ended up talking for ages about Netflix and movies and the beer started to catch up with us but you assured me that he would happily come on to talk about the state of UK independent film in 2014 so I'll save that for another time Thanks for listening and remember to check out www.crispysharp.co.uk for film reviews and other features. Thanks.